0: We have been trialing and trying to add more people to that team um, for months now. And we just haven't been able to find the right fit or just we haven't been able to find anyone that really wants to work or do the hospital job as it's described.
1: Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to Zoe Minchin from Zars Bar and Deli in Northcote in Melbourne. So we did something pretty crazy which was open a restaurant during a pandemic it was you know it was pretty challenging very admirable and i know it's been a super busy period so there are lots of things that we are going to talk about today some real hot button topics for the industry but firstly i would just like to say welcome to dirty linen
0: thanks dan
1: hi hi so you know I guess in hospitality it's rare that there are typical weeks but what would you say your weeks are like at the moment?
0: Um, I guess it's tough for me to say that I've got a um, regular week because to be honest Jan we've this last fortnight is really probably the only first fortnight that we've had of regularity since we opened it's been um, you know obviously we're in lockdown for a while so we just ran the deli for a good portion of time and then Um, you know then we were frantically trying to get bums on seats when we you know when we could and when we opened the bistro and then there was a a bit of a tsunami really when we opened the doors um and during and because that was during Christmas time so we had crazy 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 Christmas couple of weeks and then we Closed for a few days, opened again for New Year's Eve, closed for a few days. There's been a couple of public holidays, so I just feel like in the last couple of weeks (laughs) this is maybe the first time I've been able to, A, get a really good snapshot of the business, but B, um, yeah, look, I guess a regular week for me is wake up, go to the restaurant and do lunch, dinner, uh, you know, dinner service and then back home and then rinse, repeat, really.
1: yeah. It's interesting. I feel like the last couple of weeks for me have been the first glimpse of normality for about a year. And for me, it's more about kids being back at school, husband going to the office half the time and yeah, just feeling like I can actually think about 2021 and try to be a little bit deliberate about it. Um, wouldn't say I've totally cracked that code at all. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Just it's like we are sort of finding a bit of a rhythm. Um. So give us a little bit of a history of you Zoe like and bring us up to date with what on earth possessed you to open a restaurant during a pandemic.
0: Yeah okay that's a very good question. Um I um my background and my history and um you know my upbringing I guess would I could say is hospitality. My parents owned um a catering company and a restaurant in Perth when I was younger so um you know my Younger years were spent in the kitchen helping mum. You know, I've got, a, um, you know, one of my earliest hosway memories was um, standing in the kitchen mixing a big bowl of um, cocktail sauce and looking out, you know, at the crowd outside. I think we're at um, Rose Hancock's and Lang Hancock's um, property at the time and looking at the crowd and mixing the sauce. I think that's my... <laughs> Early memories. So I think I was in Wow, maybe nine years old at that time.
1: That's such a um, WA scenario. <laughs> it's very that WA that setting one. for us oh, there, God, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> at Rose and <Cancourt's> House, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then you know it. I remember my dad showing me how to sort of spin bitters in a glass, you know, making a lemon lime and bitters behind the bar. And I think I was illegally serving booze at like 14 years old or something. So, you know, I really feel like I've, you know, been brought up in the industry, so to speak. Yes. Um, worked in Hospo for many, many years. I've worked in um, Spain and um, France and um, most of the time actually in Lanzarote in Spain. But, um, then moved to Melbourne where, um, you know, cut my teeth here, working with the likes of Paul Wilson at the Botanical. Um, I ran Karen Martini's restaurant, Mr. Wolf for her, for a few years. Um, worked for San, um, Salvatore at St. Ali and lots of sort of um, smaller kind of um, little pop-ups and restaurants and cafes and that kind of thing. And then I somehow was steered into events and started working in, um, with the Atlantic Group doing catering. And we were doing catering on a really big scale. So we were working at the, um, at the races, the VRC and, and Grand Prix. And I was a few years into that and just thought, oh, wow, this is really not my jam. Um, that Those huge, big catering gigs. Although, like, I, the experience was phenomenal and I really, you know, did learn a lot from that. I just realised it wasn't really my thing. Um, and then I started working in event production, um started my own event production company. So I've been doing that for six years now. A company called Zoe Projects and working on festivals like Dark MoFo, Laneway Festival, um, uh, you know, Out in the Weekend, Boogie Festival, Unify Festival, like a a bunch of different um, cool gigs. Uh, Mostly working in the food and beverage side of things, either, um, you know, wrangling food trucks or running the bars um, you know doing pop-up style events and to be honest and that's sort of where I was at when we went into lockdown and I think we were talking I don't know when was that was that March April uh, in the blur in the blur so when all, when all that happened um, I was doing some um event and marketing work for the nurses' union and I was working from home and um, I had a call from a broker and said, look, I think you need to come and have a look at this space because I had been looking for venues uh, for years. I, I, You know, I've always popped my head into a for-lease space or a for-sale space. Um, you know, I've always wanted to open my own venue but just never really knew when or how um and so yeah I went and had a look at the space which is literally at the top of my street um in Northcote so not very far from home and I thought well I didn't really know what the landscape of festivals and events was going to be like you know it, mm. we still don't know what what that looks like and so you know the festivals and events that I were producing were on a large scale so um it was a really quick decision it was just felt right and um I didn't have any fear? Strangely enough, I just thought, you know, like working from home, I knew that we needed a really good deli close by, somewhere to go and buy, you know, good salads and sandwiches. But um, you know, tin of anchovies and salami—it's sort of there was nothing really like that in North Um, so yeah, I took the keys, and it wasn't really until I was like in mid-build, one of my really good mates came in, and we were um, building the site, and as he walked out the door, he turned around and he said to me, "Hey, Zozo, ballsy." And I just kind of realised at that point, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I didn't, I just sort of, it just sort of rolled and, into it. And next, you know, I'm, there I am. I'm, you know, a couple of weeks of opening a venue in the middle of a pandemic. But, you know. wow,
1: know. Uh, it's, I mean, what an amazing story. I just, you've just been really at the epicentre of so many important Melbourne food place, things and places and happenings, haven't you? If I think about when Paul Wilson was at botanical like that was the place to be I mean it really took that whole gastro pub thing in Melbourne to a to a new place and Mr Wolf you know it was such it's been such an important restaurant for Melbourne and and those big events even though you know they weren't really your jam I mean they are so much part of the Melbourne tapestry I was at the tennis last night um And, you know, as much as that's had its uh, detractors this year, simply because of, you know, the fact of bringing in COVID riddled people from all over the world, it is a great part of the Melbourne landscape. And, you know, big events uh, that draw people from all over the world, it's such an important part of what's made Melbourne uh, the city that it is. Um, But yeah, I mean, if I think about all the things that you've done, it's like, no wonder you're fearless. You've kind of done it all
0: yeah I when we were building the restaurant um you know I just put the project together as if I was putting together a festival and you know the the hours on the build and the time that we had to build it I mean we had a whole month you know and for me that's huge like (laughs) normally when building a festival it's like you've got to get it up in a couple of days and you've got to get it down in a couple of days and get it to the next city you know so um you know I I was kind of like "Mm, this is this is really nice I've got (laughs) heaps of time and yeah, it wasn't really until I opened the doors, to be honest, that we felt the pinch.
1: Yeah, well, one of the places that many people have felt the pinch um, over the past few months has been staffing. Like there are not enough staff around to fill all the slots in all the many venues. Tell us about that from your point of view.
0: Yeah, look, that's definitely um, something that's really, um, really pushing on us at the moment. I'm, you know, I've got a, a core team of solid legends and they're just so fantastic at what they do and they're so hard working and they're so committed to the business and you know they really share the vision and it's you know i just have this beautiful bunch of um professionals that work with me and um we have been trialing and trying to add more people to that team um for months now and we just haven't been able to find right fit or just we haven't been able to find anyone that really wants to work or do the hospital job as it's described you know we've had we've trialed many many people and most of them will say things like look i don't you know it's a really nice place and i really like working here but i just don't want to do closes i don't want to have to do the late nights or you know i i can work for you but i can only do monday to thursday because I can't work the weekends or you know I don't really like you know opening because I don't like bringing the furniture in and out and it's just like well, wow this, this photo, you know like what you know where, where have you worked before where <laughs> you haven't had to you know we had a girl on trial the other night and she said she didn't really like having to polish the glasses and it was <laughs> just like where like where have you worked? <laughs> like, how are you? Yeah, so we're pretty, really struggling at the moment. And it's also just putting a lot of pressure on me because I'm carrying the hours as well. You know, I do every lunch and dinner service. And if we had more staff, then I would be able to sort of pull back a bit. And, you know, if we had another manager, you know, Nick, my um, assistant manager, wouldn't have to do all the closes. So, yeah, the team in general is feeling the pressure, not just myself and the business. Um, so yeah, hopefully we get some more people soon. That is
1: really massive. I mean, do you think I mean, let's just say okay, someone doesn't want to work weekends. Do you think it is there there are just so many jobs going at the moment that eventually they'll be able to find a job that, you know, suits the hours that they want to do? I mean, do you feel like employees at the moment just really feel like it's 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 their market?
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, 100%. Like we like I'm looking at people that are applying for jobs at the moment if they don't want to do closes or they don't want to do um, weekends and we're looking at how we can still bring them on and accommodate those rosters you know at least it will sort of I've got a couple of my um, guys are doing six days a week at the moment and um, although they said they're fine with it at the moment I just know that it can't go on like that forever so you know if they can pick up the you know some new people pick up the tuesday wednesday thursdays then you can take the pressure off and you know have my other guys just reduce their hours a bit but um yeah it's like pretty much staff can walk into a venue and say if they're really good at their job they can say this is when i want to work and this is what conditions i'm to work under and we're as employers we're like okay whatever whatever you want <laughs> as long as you go and work for me and you do a good job yeah. How do you feel about
1: that? And, I mean, how did the, your your core team, how are they going to feel about that if if someone's just really, you know, picking and choosing which parts of the job they want to do?
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I'm pretty flexible on all the team. Like they all have, um, you know, everyone's got sort of, things that they do and can and can't do. So everyone does have the flexibilities and I listen and I hear and I you know, understand what's happening in their personal lives and we have accommodated that on the current team's roster. So I don't feel like um, it would be unfair to the team because they've all sort of had, you know, they've got space to do to have that flexibility. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to have someone come to you in the hospital world when you're running a, you know, a business that's, you know all day six days a week and someone says I, I don't want to do weekends it's like oh mm. really? <laughs> that's tough okay
1: yeah I, I mean it's it's interesting I can see it from all sides it's like I guess everyone's just got to come to the table and hopefully you can find a, a scenario that's going to work for everybody but yeah. yeah it's really tricky times it is um speaking of tricky how's it going with customers how are you finding uh the vibe there
0: Um, Look, our customers um, through the lockdown period and through, um, you know, Christmas time and opening up the venue were just amazing. They were just so incredible. Like the support from the community was really overwhelming and, you know, it was just this real sense of like we're here for you, you're here for us, we're here for each other and it was really quite beautiful And we would have people come into the restaurant and say, or when we were running the deli and just saying, thank you so much for doing something positive. Thank you so much for opening, you know, something like this and showing us that it's things aren't closing down and things aren't ending, that, you know, there is positivity and there is hope. And, you know, that was really heartwarming and there was a few little cute tears shed here and there from just (laughs) people being so lovely. Um, I've found, however, going into this year... Um, there has been a slight shift, although we do have a really strong um, support supportive network, I'm finding that there is the odd customer that's coming in that is being quite harsh and, and a little brutal. And, you know, I think I sort of messaged you the other day, Dan, and said, you know, there's some google reviews that have popped up that are just like wow that's just mean you know like shit I'm doing my best here you know we're really um doing everything we can to make sure you have this most beautiful experience and you know from the way that we've set the venue and the attention to detail and, you know, everything from the plates and how hard the chefs are working and the beautiful food that, you know, Kian for my head chef is cooking, like everything we've we've really, really trying. And then, you know, you get an email or you get a Google review and it's just heartbreaking. It's like, why are you like, why, you know, it's like you can't, some of the things are just not true as well. You just think you just that's just really not necessary. Mm. Where
1: do you think it's coming from? I mean, do you feel like customers' expectations, are, uh, there's a mismatch there or people are just in a super bad mood or, do you, or I don't know, do people feel more entitled than they did a while ago? Like what, what do you think, where do you think it's coming from?
0: It's interesting. One of my friends was, we were having this conversation the other day and she was saying that she feels that people's needs are higher. And people have these higher expectations of what they want to get from the experience. And there's almost this expectation that, um, you know, this is not all customers, definitely not the majority of customers, but there were the odd customer that will come in and be like, okay, I'm here and it's your job to really complete my entire experience. And they sort of take the responsibility off themselves mm. and don't sort of go there and go, I'm going to have a beautiful um, time with my friends or my partner and I'm going to come here and I'm just going to really enjoy myself. It's just this this high level of you have to, you know, roll out the red carpet and, you know, put everything out there for me, for me to complete my complete dining experience. And I think, you know, some of the owners has to go back on to the diner sometimes and go, well, you need to, you need to enjoy yourself as well, you know, or <laughs> you need to enjoy your company. Like I can't do it all for you. Um, yeah
1: it's like people just sitting there like a lump of wood expecting you to find like the fun button for them and just yeah
0: that's right I mean you see a couple and you'll be like oh they're not having a good time so you try to like perk them up and you know you you want everyone to have a a nice time and a a nice dining experience but sometimes you can only do so much
1: Mm, you mentioned to me a while back you know you you have to um institute certain conditions around booking simply because you know the way things are at the moment in terms of numbers and I think that when we spoke about that your numbers were much more restricted than perhaps they are today um and there was a guy that just really didn't want to look at it from the business's point of view it was just he just wanted the table he wasn't sure how many people were going to be there wasn't quite wouldn't didn't yeah didn't quite want to land on a time I mean it was all a bit was all a bit it was it was all on his terms um have you had some tricky situations dealing with, with things like that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we still, every week we'll have a have a situation like that, Dan. We'll have, you know, the I had a table come in the other night and, you know, they had a conversation with my um, manager during the day and said, look, there's definitely four of us for dinner but maybe there might be another four joining us later on for drinks. Mm. So there might be eight but there's there's definitely four for dinner. So we booked the table for them at their booked time at four at 7.30 for four people for dinner and when they arrived they were so upset that there wasn't a table of eight for them and I just I said to them, but I can't book a maybe, like maybe some people coming for drinks later, but also it's in the middle of a Friday night dinner so I would expect that if you book a table that everyone's going to come to eat, um, but yeah, some some customers just don't have that concept of, um, yeah, you've, you're, you're running a venue and I don't think people really understand how hard it is to actually make profit in hospitality. It's, it's really, really tough. So, you know, you need to get maximum revenue out of your seats and I just don't think that... The general public really don't understand that, and why would they you know that's not sort of something that they would know, but yeah, it would definitely would be nice to have a little bit more consideration around it.
1: It's interesting i mean you'd presumably if those people were inviting someone over to the house, they'd want to know if they were really going to come
0: true that's true yeah yeah
1: it's it's um it's a strange one, I suppose it's just that that expectation that your place is a public space and they can use it. However they want to in the moment, but it just doesn't work uh like that for a business,
0: yeah, I guess that's something I've really had to get used to is you know because I feel that my venue is like my heart and soul, and I've you know my heart and my sleeve kind of thing, and it's something I've really, really have had to get to used to is that that it's not my house, you know like people it is it is a well it's not a public place, but people treat it like a public place, and it's sort of their space they book the, you know, the table or they come in and they have these certain expectations about what they the, what they want to do whilst they're there and I kind of had, to, had have had to take a bit of a step back and not be so protective, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so let's talk about something else that I know you're really passionate about and that is payroll tax. Do you want to introduce us to your concerns around that?
0: Ouch, yes, payroll tax. Um. It's a concept that just completely blows my mind. Like I can't get my head around why we would be taxed for employing people when we already pay payroll tax, company tax, GST. It's like we're being penalised for employing more people but also we're being taxed on a cost that we have. So the higher the cost it is to us, then the more we have to pay, it's like, double whammy yeah and it's just it I've I've been doing some research on it and it's something that was invented I think in I don't know the year but in war times um you know and the reason why it was implemented then is not the reason why we have it now and it's just something that's still here um but yeah I mean I'm literally looking at my business at the moment and if I can I think it's $54,000 a month is the threshold um of, of payroll. So if you pay that much money each month, then you will then pay, I think it's up almost 5% of that back to the government. So, where can my footkeeper and I are currently looking at? Like, well, do we close the venue on a Tuesday when we don't have a huge, it's not a big day for us, and Sunday nights aren't a huge night for us? And so, do we reduce our payroll back to, you know, I think it's the 12 and a half grand that we need to a week? By closing those days and reducing our payroll, so then we don't have to at the end of the year pay the thirty-five thousand dollars in employment tax. It, it just, mm. it just, it's. It, I think it's a false economy for for the government as well because then they're not collecting my GST and my, you know, income tax for those days that I close. So. Yeah, it's a
1: real disincentive, isn't it? Um, Yeah, so my research on payroll tax, the history of payroll tax in Australia is that it came in in 1941 and at that time it was 2.5%, so yeah, considerably less than the 4.85% that it is now. And it was was introduced to finance the federal government's decision to pay child endowment, which was five shillings a week. So I think it was that... um, Maybe the men were off at war, and the women went to work, and um, the we needed to pay to look after the children. I think that's the kind of um, Ah, scenario that it was. Yep. And obviously, that's you know, (laughs) it's it's come a long way from that. But I think governments do have have they struggle to give up taxes, and and so when it was levied, it was a federal government tax, and it was handed over to the states. I think in the seventies, at which time basically the feds um uh the feds basically did all the tax um except for payroll which was given to the states and then yeah so it so it's it seems like it's gone a long way from its origins mm. um and now it just seems yeah like a, a a very uh yeah a counterintuitive disincentive to doing business totally. um so it is weird. I mean, there have been some COVID-inspired concessions, like it was deferred last year and I think you can, no, it was waived last year and I think you can defer it this year, but then well, that's not really good to just incur a debt to the government um, and just rack it up so that you can pay it next year along with along with next year's payroll tax. Um, and there is a small concession that if your payroll tax goes up, you can get $0.10 cents to the dollar back, which is like a new jobs um concession I guess but that's really crazy too because it's like if they're on the one hand saying that we can see that you're employing more people um then you would think that that would be rewarded not just penalized less
0: that's right yeah yeah it's very confusing tax in general confuses me but that's the one that confuses me the most
1: yeah so what are you doing about it
0: um the bookkeeper and I are just looking at um you know the how the figures are stacking up like I said we've possibly going to be looking at closing on a Tuesday um, and a Sunday. Um, we're looking at all of this tomorrow to see whether or not we can get the payroll down to below what it needs to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, I really don't want to do that. You know, like I feel that there's plenty for us. Tuesday is sort of like a bit of a reset day. It's where we get all our deliveries and, you know, there's definitely a purpose for Tuesdays even though it's not a huge um, revenue day for us. Um you know I think that might put a bit of pressure on on the week if we have to roll it all into a Wednesday but I don't know we're just shuffling things around at the moment and um since I've opened it's really been the first time I've been able to start doing some of this reflective management so um yeah
1: yeah not sure are you doing anything about it from a sort of agitation activist point of view are you campaigning on it at all
0: Yeah um I strangely well, I don't know strangely but um I have um I did some work with Catherine Andrews um, when I was at the nurses' union and I had her contact details. So I was like, I'm sorry if this is inappropriate, but who would I speak to about payroll tax? Right. Um, So
1: that's the wife of Dan Andrews, the Premier, for people who don't know.
0: Yeah, just went straight to the top. And um, she's so lovely and she just said, yeah, no problems. Let, Let me just see if I, you know, who I can direct this to, and then she got back to me and said, Look, I've passed your details on to the department that handles this and someone will be in contact with you soon. So it's gone up the chain, so I'm just waiting for a phone call now. But um I'm next step would be to call um Lena Messina, our local mayor and our local councillors, and just see, you know, if there is any just a seat at the table so we can have these discussions really and see who it is that we can Um, ask the question to I mean to lift the threshold would be ideal I mean I know that they're not going to take the tax away but for small hospitality businesses I think anything that the government can do to help us after having to really battle through the last six months any help was is good help and I think this is a good start.
1: Mm. Well I think there's definitely you know just in the policies that have come to ease the payroll burden over the past year there's definitely A recognition that it is a significant burden for businesses so surely the next step is just to chuck it out yeah you think so (laughs) we'll see um something else you know that has been around is around at the moment but may not be forever is extra outdoor space for dining uh do you want to hang on to those extra
0: spaces Oh, totally. And so do the locals. You know, everyone, I, I would get asked at least twice a day, you know, are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep it? And I'm like, yeah, I hope so. Like, I think it's really changed the whole vibe in Northcote. I'm not just in Northcote and all of the suburbs and especially the city. I think the outdoor dining has really changed um, the vibe on the streets at evening times. It's It's just fantastic. And I think not only being able to you know obviously increase your capacity which was the original um I'd, you know idea behind implementing it but it just brings a really fantastic atmos- atmosphere out into the street and melbourne doesn't have a lot of outdoor dining there's not a lot of al fresco and you know if you go to somewhere like perth it's all al fresco so it's just really nice to see that you know bringing the dining to the streets I love uh,
1: it. yeah but have you ever noticed the difference between the weather in Perth and Melbourne yeah that's a good point
0: <laughs> good point you raise yeah I think um yeah I'm trying to think about what we what we're actually going to do um when it comes when it starts raining a bit more but you know we would invest in cover if if you know we had some clear indication that it was going to stay but we'll see what happens maybe yeah. we'll start a petition
1: I think it's the um it's the reliability of the weather as much as it's, you know, the actual condition of the weather at the time. Um, I think Perth weather is much less changeable than Melbourne. But, you know, having said that, I guess the fact that you can have four seasons in a day also means that you can be prepared for anything and any Melbourne person that goes out without, you know, <laughs> something warm in their bag, um, you know, just hasn't been living in the city long enough. So. We shall see. I hope that I hope those spaces stay as well, and we can make full use of them. Because it just seems crazy to give up, you know, those those vibrant dining spaces just to put a car. That just seems dumb when you look when you look at it.
0: Yeah, and I think if you speak to the majority, I think the ma- the majority of people would be keep you know keep it. I think you know the diners as well as the businesses. Um, yeah, I really do hope there's a bit of a feedback audit on that. Um, be nice to see it stay.
1: Well, in the city of Port Phillip where I am, there are QR codes on some outdoor spaces a little parklet so not the commercial ones but city of port phillips just built some random council ones that you can just sit down on and they've got qr codes on them which link through to a feedback form where you can say how much you love it and um i've been madly qr'ing them and and saying how um how much i love them uh because yeah they should they should stay there should be more more public space and more more spaces in private for private businesses that keep the city and the suburbs vibrant yeah, um, yeah, it's really good. So Zoe, is there anything else on your mind?
0: Um, apart from dinner service tonight, Dan. Right now, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not much. I think um, I really hope crossing all fingers and toes that we just keep tracking. Melbourne keeps tracking the way that we are, and um, we don't have another full lockdown. I think that would be, I think that would be a crisis point for a lot of businesses and I think it would be the make or break for a lot of hospital venues so yeah i'm i'm just crossing your fingers and toes that we just keep tracking the way that we're tracking
1: yeah well i think almost it's perhaps it's it's counterintuitive to say that but the fact that we've had some cases come out of quarantine and that we have been able to manage them with excellent contact collection and um testing and tracing is just does inspire confidence that you know we've got the systems people are using them by leaving their contact details at venues and you know keeping up with the public health messaging getting tested if they feel unwell you know maybe maybe we've just got a bit of of a handle on this
0: yeah I agree
1: um so when I finally come in for dinner what am I going to have
0: oh um well you I think you should go the chef's degustation and then you can try a little bit of everything (laughs) but um probably one of our most popular dishes would have to be the steak fritz it's um it's just a really bloody good steak and who doesn't like a steak for it? its it's um the gnocchi's well we make our own pasta in house so um we're making a lot of pasta. We sell it takeaway in the um deli so you can come and get some gnocchi or pappardelle or whatever and um we have sauces to go. Um but in the dining room we're doing pasta nights and Wednesday nights which are super fun. Wow. Um, yeah. They uh, we're booked out every Wednesday night. So um give us a heads up and we'll find a place for you, Dan. um,
1: (laughs) It all sounds good. And I reckon those people, you know, who might have four friends coming for drinks should just get all some stuff from the deli and put it in their own fridge at home (laughs) and just let the night unfold as it does without stressing you out. Yeah,
0: that's it. I mean, we try to promote just drinks in a Parateva. So we do a Parateva in the afternoon. So, um, from three to five daily after, you know, in between lunch and dinner. So we've definitely created a culture of people that want to come just for drinks and most people get it. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So it's so good to have a chat to you. Have a great service and thank you for chatting to me at Dirty Linen.
0: Thanks Dan. See you soon. Bye. See ya.
1: Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Dani Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at dirtylinenpodcast Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: This is a Deep in the Wheats production.